This time, give Brother Butch a good hand. I told him to stay at home this morning, but he don't take my advice any better than he takes you. Is it on now? Okay, good. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's so good to be in the Lord's house among God's people. Amen. I, I just look forward to Sunday. That's just a great day in my week, and I hope it is in yours too. Uh, you know, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to church. You know, you can't just say one thing. Uh, I go for the singing, or I go for this, or that, or the other. But uh, there's a lot of things that brings us to the house of the Lord. Most uh, the thing I said, uh, I think Wednesday night, the thing that really makes us be here is the fact that we know Jesus Christ, and He, that common salvation, and that experience of knowing the Lord and having His Spirit living on the inside of us. Is what uh, brings us here, and we're here to glorify Him, to praise Him, and uh, I hope uh, through His Word I'll be able to help you to focus a little more on the goodness of God for you. He is, He is, the songs that we sang today talking about His grace and His goodness. We can't say or sing enough uh, about the goodness of the Lord to all of us, amen? Praise God. Well, thank God for His goodness. And uh, if you want to uh, turn with me in your Bibles, uh, or you can look up there on the screen, they're going to have these verses up there. Uh, we're going to be reading from Revelation, the very first chapter. Now, uh, the, you know, the word revelation means unveiling. And so God unveils to us things in the book of Revelation that we... we uh, we never would know, and uh, the theme the theme of the book of Revelation is the sovereign rule of God. Now, for those who are living during that awful time of tribulation, they're probably going to think God's not in control, but He will be. So, the theme of this book, and but the uh, but the purpose of this book is to show us the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. You know, you've heard people say it. Uh, uh, I read the last book, and we win. Most importantly, God wins, amen. <laughs> and we're part of his, his victory at that time, amen. Well, uh, I want to read verses. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and read verse 4. I don't know if I got the guys. That got, did I? Yeah, I got you to put 4 up there. Okay, uh, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Really, uh, from right here is where I want to talk with you and share with you something this morning. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I believe the King James says has washed us from our... 
I really like that. He has washed or freed us from his uh, sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, we're reminded of something about uh, about God that's that's very fa uh, amazing in these verses. A couple of things here, and I want to talk about it. But it begins by saying, the middle part of verse five begins by saying, "Unto Him, unto Him." You know, heathen people have tried to imagine what God looks like. They've cut out of wood or carved out of stone images that they think maybe their God might look like, and usually they're they're kind of ugly, but uh, but they've drawn them. And you know, and for that reason, God gave a commandment over there among the Ten Commandments, and says uh, not to make any graven images or anything like Him. And the reason for it is because if we tried to make any graven image or anything that depicted God, it would be wrong. Because uh, really, uh, we don't know exactly <laughs> what God looks like. But uh, God tells us enough about him and his nature. For one thing, we find out in the Bible that God is almighty. That means all power is from him. All power is his. So he's, he's almighty and also God is all-knowing. God knows, listen to me, everything that can be known, God knows it. Past, he hasn't forgotten anything. Present, future, he knows you. He knows all about you. The Bible says not only does he know what we do, what we say, he knows our thoughts. And in some cases, the Bible says, God even looks into our thoughts and knows our thoughts before we ever even think them. He knows our prayers before we pray them. Now, we struggle with such an almighty God to try to kind of figure this out. And some people just, just say, I, I don't think there's a God like. Couldn't be any, you know, some people just, uh, I guess, go off the deep end and say, well, I just can't believe there's any being like that. But he is. You know, Paul gives us another uh, view of him over there in, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6. And uh, uh, beginning in verse 15, uh, he says, uh, and this, this is, uh, yeah, uh, I want to start on over. That's the end of his statement as that, as that verse begins. It says, uh, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or ever can see, to him be glory and everlasting power forever. In other words, uh, you couldn't step outside if you're, if you're smart. And you wouldn't want to step outside this morning and look into the blazing sun for very long. 
it would damage your eyes. And we couldn't stand to look in the power and the presence of the glory of God at this moment as we are. God is uh, almighty, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, and so on and so forth. But along with God's eternal might and power, there is something else we see about God in these verses, and it is this. John says, unto him. Verse 4, he says, from him. That's important. I'll tell you why. Because God, God is a person. He's a person. And when he made me and you, he made us in his image and his likeness. And in that sense, he, he made you and I to be persons. Your dog is not a person. Your cat's not a person. You can talk about their personality all you want to, but dogs and cats are not persons, especially cats. <laughs> if, you, if you have a cat, that's fine. I don't like cats. It's not that I just don't like their attitude. <laughs> but but uh, animals are not persons. And as a result of that, they cannot relate to God. They can't talk to God, pray to God, worship God, hear God, interact with God, because they're not persons. But when God made me and you, he made us uh, a person. And God, listen to me, God reaches out. This almighty, all-present, all-knowing God reaches out personally to every single one of us. He's an almighty person reaching out to you as a person. We, we get examples of this in the Bible. Uh, Abraham, his family was idol makers, idol worshipers. They didn't know God. They didn't know anything about him. But Stephen tells us in the New Testament, the God of glory revealed himself to our father Abraham. Now, we don't know what it was like, but we do know this that the relationship that this person, this almighty person God had, and this person named Abraham was such, uh, became so intimate that the Bible says Abraham became the friend of God. The friend of God. And, and, uh, and Moses was, a, was another guy who was just wandering out there watching sheep and God revealed himself to him and... Uh, the Bible says there was none like Moses who spoke with God face to face. Amen. Now, you know, that's getting pretty personal, isn't it? When you talk face to face with somebody, that's getting pretty personal. So God, here's, here's what we got from the Word of God. God is a personal. He knows you as a person, and He wants to relate personally to you. He wants you to know him personally and walk with him personally and talk to him personally and uh, have a personal relationship. Amen. So the Bible tells us that uh, salvation becomes a, a personal experience. The reason you're saved today is because this personal God reached out to you where you were, what you were doing, got your attention, dealt with your heart. Maybe you heard... Uh, 
a person like me, Brother Jerry, or whatever, you heard him preach a message, in the, and God took that message and just kind of couldn't get away from it, you know? It's because God was reaching out to you personally. <laughs> he, he saves us, each one, personally. Salvation is personal. Jesus said, I am the door. And that door that Jesus depicts is just big enough for one person at a time to come in. Amen. He may save 500 people in the next moment, but each one of them comes through that door one at a time. Amen. You say, how can he do that? I don't know, but he does. Amen. Amen. This eternal life that you and I have, it comes from a person. Amen. All praise unto him and then he says unto him who loved us what a marvelous statement unto him who loved us the Bible doesn't say God pitied us it doesn't say that he felt sorry for us or that he saw the mess we were in and just came along and fixed us and left us no the Bible says he loved us and the thing that's amazing is that he, he, he loved us while we were still sinners. The Bible doesn't say he washed us from our sins first and then he loved us. No. He loved us in our unloveliness, in our, in our wickedness, in our rebellion toward him. God loved us. So amazing, so amazing. The Bible says we love him because he first, <laughs> he first loved us. Amen. And how he loved you individually, individually. In John's day, the individual didn't count for anything. The government counted for something. Rome counted for something. Caesar counted for something. But the millions of individual people who lived in the Roman Empire counted for nothing. Eighty percent of the people living in the Roman Empire in Jesus' day were slaves. They were owned by the government or they were owned by an individual person, but they were nothing but chattel. Nobody gave much account to the individual. And you and I have seen as we've read history, and some of you live to see some of this, maybe. But during the days when Japan was in its zenith of power, the individual didn't mean anything. When the Nazis were in control in Germany, the individual didn't mean anything. That's what uh, Nazism means, socialism. By the way, that's what socialism is. You only mean something if you contribute to everybody else. You as an individual don't mean anything. That's one little thing about socialism that I don't like. Can I get an amen or two? They tell us that some of these young people are falling in love with socialism. They don't know what socialism is. Socialism has been around long enough that it's got a history. It's been around 100 years. Show me a country it's made better. Why people that want to go down that path, I don't know. It don't even make common sense to me, but hey, I'm a simple man. 
Amen. Yeah. Under under Mao in in China, under Stalin in Russia, individuals did meaningless things. And there are people now in this country who probably think that they as individuals don't mean anything. They work in a factory every day making whatever, so assembling widgets or uh, or they, they work in their little cubicle amidst 50 other people that have got their little cubicle and they're looking at a computer screen all day and they may every now and then look up and look around and say, if I didn't come tomorrow, would they even miss me? Would anybody even know uh, that I wasn't here or how long if I dropped dead, how long would it take them to replace me? Not very long and... and uh, and so uh, even David himself said, when I, when I consider the heavens and the work of your finger, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you are, you are separate from everybody and included in everybody today. You are significant to God. Don't forget it. Unto him who loves us. Amen. Amen. You may think nobody knows you, nobody cares. But Jesus said the good shepherd knows his sheep and he calls them by name. He calls them by name. Old Zacchaeus, a little old short guy. I couldn't imagine what life would be like that. But, but anyway, he was. And uh, so he climbed up in a tree to get above everybody so he could see Jesus. He must have been shocked when Jesus stopped and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, call, call him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house this afternoon. Amen. He knows you. He knew you way way back there before you were ever even born. Now, how do we know he loved us? Because the Bible says he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That is the redemptive price that God was willing to pay for you and me. He paid in his own blood. My dad loved uh, to put bumper stickers on his car and on his pickup truck. He and my mother went round and around about him and his bumper stickers. She wouldn't have had any of those things that he, he liked. And uh, I remember one that he had on the, on the back of his truck that said, he loved you this much. And at the end of the statement was a price. Amen. He loved you this much. Sin puts a stain in the soul that nothing and nobody in this world can remove. That's why all of our efforts to be accepted by God, to be, you know, to have God to pat us on the head and be proud of, it doesn't amount to anything because it's all stained by sin. Everything, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, they're all stained by sin. And, and uh, you know, 
we, we finally come to the point when we're, uh, if we're on our own, trying to do better and get better. That's what happens when you get under conviction. You start trying to straighten up. Start trying to do better. But you realize along with Paul to say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? There's one answer. Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes when you talk to people that may even family members that are not saved, don't know the Lord. And you talk to them of their need for Jesus, and, and uh, I've, ha- I've had them say, well, I'm as good as you are. I'm as good as probably most all them people go down to that church where you go. And I like to say, actually, you're probably better than I am. And you may be better than all those people that go to church where I go. But I'm not going to heaven one day because I'm better than you or somebody else. I'm going because he loved me and washed me from my sins by his own blood. Amen. Amen. It's because of him and not because of us. Amen. While you were a sinner, he loved you. I don't know if any of you have ever read the Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read the Pilgrim's Progress? A few. I wish all of you would read the Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim is on his way to the celestial city. He's read in a book that the city he lived in is a cursed city and God's going to judge it. So he leaves. And he's got this uh, burden on his back that he's carrying. He meets a man and, and Pilgrim meets all these different people with different names. He meets a man called Evangelist. An evangelist tells him, if you will go to a place called the Skull, a mountain that's called the Skull, uh, the place of the cross, you can get free from that burden that's on your back. And Pilgrim makes his way there to the place of the cross. And when he gets there and kneels, this burden falls off of his back. I can identify with that because when Jesus Christ saved me, the burden of 20 years of sins that had mounted up in my life was taken away. And the, the thing that amazed me when I went home that night and went to bed and got up the next morning was the peace that I had had that night as I slept. And for days it felt like my feet weren't hardly even touching the ground. They barely do anyway. But, <laughs> but it felt like my feet weren't hardly touching the ground because that burden of sin was gone. Amen. That's what happens when he washes us and saves us from our sins. Amen. And listen, he does it individually. He does it individually unto him who loves us. He does it individually. This is one thing the ancient religions have never been able to deal with. Never been able to free people from their sins. All of the philosophers of the world and the psychologists nowadays, for all the good they may do, they can't help people where their sins are concerned. <laughs> but in a moment of time, Jesus can free the most burdened down soul from their sins. <laughs> 
Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you, in a moment's time, he can change our lives. Then we're told that he made us a nation. He made us a nation. This is, I'm just going through this verse. When God's people Israel went down to Egypt, it was the Bible says it was 70 direct descendants of Jacob. When they left there 400 years later, there was over 2 million of them. A family had become a nation. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. They were a little flock. But then on the day of Pentecost, there was 120, and then there was 3,000. Later, we read of 5,000 coming to the Lord, and the church was off and running and growing. And the church has an amazing history. This, this church has a long litany of heroes who have pushed forth this kingdom. Uh, they have... Uh, uh, mothers, they've left mothers and fathers and homeland and pleasures of this life. They've gone into the world to strange places and strange people to carry to them the good news of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some have died of diseases. Some have been martyred. They've been drink offerings poured out to the Lord. But wherever they've gone, they have planted the seeds of the gospel in the hearts of people and people have been saved, and the kingdom of God has grown and grown and grown and continues to grow. Somebody reached out to you when you were out there alone and brought you into this kingdom. It is now a vast kingdom. Amen. He has made us. This was spoken in the early days of the church, but now you and I understand it more than they ever could. He has made us a kingdom. One of these days, Jesus will present us to the Father a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, and it's not going to be a little handful of people, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be billions of people who have been washed in the blood and saved by Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And then the last thing, and I'm really winding down when I touch on this. I'm going to be brief on this. The Bible says he has made us to be priests. That's right. He's made us to be priests. The only priesthood in the Bible is this. In the New Testament, I mean. He has made us to be priests. You know what a priest does? A priest goes to men on behalf of God. We are his representative, his ambassadors, Paul said, in this world. But also, we go to God on behalf of men. We're intercessors for people who don't know him. And so he's made us priests. And this is how we do both. Both. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we're 
in church. We're to show forth his praises. When we're out of church, we're to show forth his praises. Amen. That's part of being a priest of God's. And God does it all out of the good pleasure of his own will. It is God's good pleasure and his will for people to come to know him in a personal way. He's a personal God. Almighty though he may be, he is personal. And he reaches out to us individually and personally. Don't you ever forget, especially as a child of God, God reaches out to you personally, individually. And all that's really left to be said about it is this. And he says it at the end of that verse. Unto him be glory and honor and power and praise. Unto him, unto him. You're here this morning because of him. You have life because of him. You have eternal hope because of him. You have peace that overshadows your life because of him. You have a heart that's just full of the love of God because he first loved you. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, somebody said it takes a thousand streams to make a river. And when we come into the house of the Lord, all of us are just individual little streams. And we pour forth the praise. We pour forth the love of God. The Holy Spirit, like springs of living water, flows out of us. Somebody else may be a little discouraged when they get here, feeling down, maybe mentally or spiritually, maybe they had a bad week, but they can step into the water of life that flows from all of us and be refreshed and strengthened and born in God. God uses you individually when you don't even know it. Maybe to bless somebody else just through your praise and your worship. He's a personal God, and He knows you and cares for you personally. Amen. You know, I'd like for you to stand with me, if you will. Amen. As we stand in the presence of the Lord this morning, it may be that everybody here knows Him. I don't know. He knows. But if you don't, my, my, I'll tell you, he knows you. One time my, my oldest grandson, Caden, was in Children's Hospital. Had something wrong with his blood. They never figured out what it was. But people were praying for him, and he is, you know, he got better, but one night I was I stayed with him. He was five years old. And a nurse, sweet little nurse, came in there and sat down and started talking with him. They had brought him something to eat. He had taken some medicine and put him in a hard chill, and, and he'd kind of got over that. And he was sitting there eating what they had brought. And this young nurse started talking about the Lord and said, she said, you know, God loves 
God loves the people he knows and he loves the people he doesn't know. And I can see Caden, he was about to put a bite in his mouth, but he stopped and said, God knows everybody. <laughs> I said, I think she meant those who know him as far as being saved. And so she said, yeah, that's what I meant. But he, does, he, he knows us all. He loves us all. Isn't it amazing? God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his son. You stand here this morning, you don't know the love of God personally. You can know him before you leave here today. You can know him before you leave. Amen. I want to pray, and when I pray, if you'd like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart, I'll be glad to pray with you when church is over. You come down and say, Brother Brooks, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like you to pray with me and help me. I'll be glad to pray with you. Others will too, I'm sure. But as I'm praying, I, if, you're to, if you don't know him right where you are, you can open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you love me, and I believe you died for me. Come into my heart, Lord. Wash me from my sin. Give me your life. Amen. Father, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you, Lord, for the grace of God. How we thank you for that amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How I thank you for it, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, for every person who stands here today. May we determine in our heart today to be more personal with you. For you're so personal with us. And I pray if there's anybody standing here that doesn't know you, never met you, I pray that they will open their heart to you today, oh Lord. And say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Wash me from my sins by your blood. And be my Savior. And let me know you as you know me. Thank you for it. Lord, I praise you for your blessing. Praise you for your touch. I praise you, Lord God, for this wonderful day, this Lord's Day. I pray that you'll bring us back tonight to worship you again and give praise and honor and glory to you, for you're so worthy. We thank you for it, Lord. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.